I normally uh, will don't drink water during the message, but seeing how my voice is going, I, I might have to take a couple of sips, so you just might have to bear with me. Today, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, a, 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 normally I preach in series, and, um, but I, today I'm going to preach a standalone message, and um, I really felt like God started birthing something inside of my spirit earlier on this week. Um, I am a part of a, uh, what's called a mastermind group um, that's about a dozen or so pastors, uh, mostly from Florida. We've got a guy who is from South Carolina, a guy from Georgia. Uh, of course, I'm from Louisiana, and uh, and so there's uh, now over a dozen of us that we meet on a uh, twice twice a month uh, via uh, a, a Zoom chat room uh, where we discuss different things as far as the church and 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 whatnot, just to help each other grow and and become better and uh, encourage one another. And so twice a year we, we meet up for a live meetup. And so um, I was in Florida uh, Monday through Wednesday uh, for one of those live meetups. And um, it was just a very, very powerful time as we got together. And we really started discussing some things. And, and, um, and, and the way that the format was is that there's uh, opportunity for three or four of the people within the group to share something for 10 to 15 minutes and then we discuss it. And so there was one uh, guy who uh, did a session and, um, and it was just very powerful, very, very powerful. And there was a particular passage of scripture that he didn't even really uh, go into depth in, but he just highlighted it. And I mean, when he read it, it just leapt out at me. And I began to uh, just... Um, soak in that word a little bit, and, and then God just started bringing forth the message for today. And so I kind of wanted to give you a background of where the message comes from. And so when, uh, when, I, when I heard this particular verse, and we'll, I'll, I'll share this verse with you in a little bit, um, but the word freedom started resonating with inside of me. It, it was like almost one of those things that you could like physically feel pulsating inside of you. And there was, there, there was, there was this, uh, this word freedom that just, just, I mean, it was like I could, it was almost like I heard it verbally. I mean, that was how much I kept hearing the word freedom. You know, when I think about freedom, I think about it as being something that people desire. Like I think when you hear the word freedom, there's a part of you that desires that, that word for your own life. I mean, freedom is something that we say the nation that we find ourselves living in right now is what they desired. That's why they rebelled against England, came over here, and did what they did was because they desired freedom. Right? That's what they wanted. And they wanted it so bad that they were willing to give their life for it. I mean, there was a lot of men and women that died in pursuit of that to, to come to America so that they could be free. And then there's been men and women that have continued to give their lives in, 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 in wars and in conflicts to keep that freedom alive, right? And it's because this idea of freedom is something that I believe all of us, regardless of where you come from, 
It's almost like an instinct that's within you that desires freedom. And I believe that instinct is there because we serve a God of freedom. And if we're made in His image, then there are certain things that He wires us with. And I believe one of those is freedom. Now, you might be sitting here saying, well, I haven't even thought about the word freedom in a long time. But something about it, when you say it, it triggers something on the inside of you. You know, people today are desiring freedom now more than they ever have. Think about it. Now, I'm going to say this in a little bit. You might not have thought about the word freedom in this context, but we desire freedom in different areas of our lives, such as finances, right? You might be sitting here today saying, I need financial freedom, right? I find myself in debt. I find myself tied to certain things that I didn't necessarily intend to get myself in, but I find myself in that, and now I want freedom from that. I mean, so much so that there are books that are actually labeled financial freedom. There's whole courses on financial freedom. And, and it's one of those areas in our lives that we desire more than ever to have freedom from. Now, if you've got freedom in your finances and you're doing things the, the well, I won't say necessarily the, well, whatever, the right way, and, and, and you're able to provide, a, a, you know, a comfortable lifestyle for yourself, you're able to save money in the bank, you're able to do certain things, and, 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 and you might not necessarily see financial freedom the way that a lot of people do. But if you're sitting there saying, man, I need financial freedom, you understand what that desire is and what that feels like to want that so bad, right? We also want freedom in our relationships. And what I mean by that is, is some of us, we find ourselves in either bad relationships, toxic relationships, and we're desiring freedom in those areas. Then there's also freedom from bad habits, you know, we are creatures of habit. And some of us, we have great habits in our lives, but some of us, we have bad habits in our lives. I have bad habits in my life. And there are some of those that I desire freedom from. You know, think about it. You, you can watch TV, and I guarantee you, you'll see four or five commercials on how to quit smoking. It's because there is that desire for freedom from that addiction. Freedom from that bad habit. There, 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 so, so and, and, and if you don't think, if you think, well, I didn't hit you in that area, in those three areas. I'm just, that, that's not an all-inclusive list. But let me tell you why freedom is such a big deal and why people are desiring it more than ever. There's this industry in America today and in our world today called self-help. Anybody ever heard of that one? You should have. I mean, self-help is a $10 billion a year industry. Ten billion. That's with a B, not an M, y'all. Billion. So that's a lot of money that's going into self-help. Why? Because you want to help yourself realize freedom in areas of your life. Now, I'm not saying all self-help is bad. I mean, I read self-help books. I need help. I need help just like the next guy, right? But there's a problem when we put all the onus on ourselves to helping ourselves. And that's where we get frustrated is because we think that we can help ourselves because we have a $10 billion a year industry that tells us that we can. Now, I'm not saying the principles in those books are bad. They're great. 
But you got to have something else that's coming alongside of you and helping you achieve freedom in those areas of your life. And I'm the one that believes it just so happens to be the Holy Spirit. Freedom. Freedom. Think about this. Attaining freedom in, 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 in the areas that I've mentioned in other areas is tied to a feeling. I feel free. It's tied to an emotion. It's tied to a deep longing for something that we're trying to grab a hold of. If we're honest with ourselves, the idea of freedom is attached to one of significance. Think about that. I know that might be like a, a, a deep thought. Anybody an SNL fan? Jack Handy, deep thoughts? He might have said something like that before. But freedom, freedom is attached to one of significance. Think about it. People that, if, if we'll go back to the original example, right, the ones that came and rebelled against England and wanted freedom in America, they were looking for significance because they were told their entire lives, this is how you have to live life, right? This is what you have to do. There was no freedom in that. And so, like, they desired a place of significance because they didn't feel significant. So they desired freedom, went after freedom, attained freedom, and therefore they got some sort of level of significance. But we'll talk about more of that in just a little bit. Here's a question that I want to ask us. Do we realize that we have access to freedom? Do we realize that we have access to freedom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You know what's interesting to me about this verse? Paul has to make sure I am, uh, well, I shouldn't say, uh, maybe I am proud. I've never spent the night in prison. I've been close a time or two. I should have a time or two, but I, you know, by the grace of God, God knew that I couldn't make it through a night. So he just, he alleviated that struggle from my life. But I'm just saying, like, you know, like, there's actually um, studies that have been done for people an extended amount of time in prison that when they get out, they actually desire to go right back in. Because they have grown accustomed and comfortable to the lifestyle and routine that they've become accustomed to while being in prison. I actually read an article about this guy who actually staged his own arrest so he could go back to prison. He walked into a convenience store. He didn't have, he didn't have a gun. He didn't even put a mask on. He didn't do anything. He just simply went into the gas station and said, give me all your money. The lady, like, didn't even really think he was being truthful. He said, please, give me all your money. I want to go to jail. Like, I'll make the phone call for you. I mean, literally, like, how crazy is that? But this is something that I think that while we laugh at an example of that, a lot of us as believers, 
is that we've experienced freedom. But somehow, some way, we have not stayed that way. You know, think about it. Paul had to say this for a reason. He was talking to believers who had a passionate encounter with a passionate Jesus, and they experienced grace, they experienced mercy, they experienced freedom. And now he's having to tell them, make sure you stay. Now, it's not just because he just so happened to think, well, maybe one day you'll slip out of this. No, it was because there were actually people that did not stay free. A person can be officially set free, yet still in prison. Here's a story. In the 14th century, two brothers fought for the right to rule over a dukedom. I didn't even know there was such thing. Has anybody ever heard the word dukedom? I mean, I understand. The people that are shaking their heads, yes. I know where you... Hey. It's like y'all, y'all, like y'all read books, y'all are like smart as all get out, and y'all are like, <laughs> like you've never heard the word dukedom before? Come on. Anyway. Right to rule over a dukedom in what is now Belgium. The elder brother, does that not sound like just the redneck name of the century right there? Hey, right now, right now. I can say that because I'm from North Louisiana, so I am a redneck. I'm just going to go ahead and say it, and I'm proud of it. But he was commonly called Crassus. Check that name out, Crassus. That's All right. Actually, Crassus is a... Le- is a <laughs> Is a Latin na- nickname meaning fat. <laughs> For he was horribly obese. After a heated battle, Reynald's younger brother Edward led a successful revolt against him and assumed the title of Duke over his lands. But instead of killing Reynald, Edward devised a curious imprisonment. He had a room in the castle built around Crassus, a room with only one door. And the door was not locked, the windows were not barred, and Edward promised Reynald that he could regain his land and his title any time that he wanted to. All he had to do was to leave the room. The obstacle to freedom was not in the doors or in the windows, but with Reynald himself. Being grossly overweight, he could not fit through the door, even though it was of near normal size. And all Reynald needed to do was diet down to a smaller size than walk out a free man with all he had before his fall. However, his younger brother kept sending him an assortment of tasty foods. And Reynald's desire to be free never won over his desire to eat. Some would accuse Duke Edward of being cruel to his older brother, but he would simply reply, My brother is not a prisoner. He may leave when he so wills. But Reynald stayed in the room. You see, the story, I believe, accurately illustrates the experience of many believers today. That Jesus sets them forever free, 
And they may walk in that freedom from sin whenever they choose. But since they keep yielding their bodily appetites to the service of sin, they live a life of defeat, one of discouragement, and one of imprisonment. This is why some of us, when we say we have access to freedom, we're so quick to say yes, but my question is, is are you really experiencing and walking in that freedom? Now here's the verse that was read at this meeting that I was at that leapt off at me, and it's Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. It says this, don't let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to simple desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, something that we have to realize is that this book was also written to believers, this was not written to people that did not know who Jesus was, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't live for Jesus. This was written to people who believed in Jesus, said they walked with Jesus. And yet Paul's having to write to them that says, don't let sin control the way that you live. Don't let your body become an instrument of sin. Yet turn it around and use your body as an instrument to bring forth glory to God. Are you experiencing freedom today? These three verses are saturated with this idea of freedom. You can almost, like if, if you just, you know, you know how sometimes you can kind of picture how somebody would say what they wrote. I think Paul would be like, Come on, guys, don't let sin control the way that you live. Don't give in to the sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you to give yourselves completely to God. Because don't you realize that you were dead, but now you're alive because of what Jesus did. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Because don't you see, don't you realize that sin is no longer your master? So quit going back to it like it is. Because you no longer live under this requirement of the law. This thing that, that, that people of influence in the past tried to put over you like a like a bondage, like a burden to say that you're not following this so you're not good for anything. You're not under that anymore. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You know, Romans chapter 6, the, the, which is where this passage is found, 
if you go back and you read verse 1, Paul starts with a question. And what that question is, is saying, in view of God's, and, and uh, now I'm not verbatim here, but it, he's basically saying, in view of God's grace, should we just keep on sinning knowing that there's more grace available? I, 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 I hate to break this to you, but Jesus did not die on a cross and endured the death that he endured, endured the separation from his father, spent three days in a grave, and then walked out of that grave for you to just have a free ticket to do whatever you want to do. That's not what grace is about. Grace is not your all-access pass to do whatever it is that you desire to do. You see, let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, when I was in high school... I was what you would consider the poster child for youth group kid. I was the one that did it, did it all. I mean, I was preaching messages. I was leading middle school groups. It got so bad that I started dressing like the youth pastor. I mean, that's how, that's, I mean, like when I'm telling you poster child, It's kind of one of those moments where, you know, you, 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 you just. Because sometimes, let, 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 let me put it to you this way. Sometimes you fall in love with the life that the church can provide for you. And you can live in that life without it making any difference on the inside. And so that's what I was doing because I enjoyed the relationships that were being formed. I enjoyed the opportunity to be able to be put into a position where people looked at me and said, man, great job. You're doing great. And man, I could preach a sermon like the rest of them. Well, then I move off to college. And boy, was I rudely awakened. <clears throat> because then when you get out of your element, and you start experiencing things that you've never experienced before, and then you realize that there was nothing of substance on the inside to keep you grounded, well, then you just fly in the wind like a feather. And so I went down a path <clears throat> of going into some of the darkest times of my life. Now, I sit with my mom in the crowd, she knows most of this, probably doesn't know all of it. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, there, there, but, but see, this is what sin will do to you. This is what sin will do to you. It'll cause you to live two different lives. And so, like, I still kept on the good Christian youth group of the, of, the, of the century facade going on and I'd go in to, to, to church and man just act like everything was great, everything was all good together, praise God, hallelujah thank you Jesus, let me preach another message 
while at the same time hanging out, boozing it up, and just getting sloshed. Okay? There would be nine, like, like I would go, I would go weeks, guys, weeks, weeks. I'm telling you, weeks. And, 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 and poor mom thought that I was just staying in, in, in Ruston at college and, and wasn't coming home on the weekends because I was just so involved in everything that was going on and all that. But what she didn't know is that I was driving right back home and partying it up and she had no clue. So I lived this kind of lifestyle for, I don't know, close to a year and a half. And then I ended up getting to a point to where, like, the, the, the two lives collided. And when they collide, it makes a mess. And so when that began to happen, you begin to unravel to the point that the people that saw you as the poster child for youth group look at you and now say, you're a fraud. They didn't use those exact terms, but that's generally what they were saying. And then you got the other crowd that didn't really, really weren't friends with you to begin with. They just liked to have you around because you were the one that they could poke fun at when you were partying it up. So then I found myself in the back roads of West Monroe, living with my grandparents, which is what every 20-year-old's dream is, just saying, and I'm all alone. I have no friends, none. Now, God has a way of working together everything for the good, right? And so... The only thing that I could remember was is that, man, I really felt good in that place called the church. Maybe I should just go find another one of those. So I went in pursuit of that. And it'll be another story for another day of how I got there. But I walk into this church, Christ Church in West Monroe. And some of you have heard this before, but Christ Church in West Monroe, Louisiana. I walk in. And I can tell you from the time that I set foot in their sanctuary, just tears poured and poured and poured and poured. I can't tell you what songs were sung that day. I can't tell you what the message was about. I can't even tell you who I sat next to. All I can tell you is is that was the day that I experienced freedom for the first time. I'd always had access to it, but I never walked in it. This was the day that everything changed for me. And can I tell you that I experienced the grace of God on a level that I have not ever experienced at this point in my life. And that grace that I had an encounter with wasn't one that pushed me into a direction of sinning more. It pushed me in the direction of changing my life forever. And saying one that would go into a, into a road of what God had called me into. And I haven't looked back since. Now, I'm not saying that to say that I don't struggle. I have struggled at times. I have dealt with things. 
So I'm not free from that altogether. And none of us will totally be free from that until we're on the other side of eternity. But Paul asked the question, what are we doing with this grace? Are we using this grace as a free ticket to keep on sinning? Or are we taking this grace as something that ultimately changes who we are? In Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, Paul gives us the prescription for staying free. And that is this. There's one line in there. And it's found in verse 13, where it says, Instead, give yourselves completely to God. That's the prescription for staying free, for walking in that freedom, is giving ourselves completely to God. So what does that look like? Number one, and I, 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 I put it this way for a reason, because I'm speaking to two different people, two different sets of people with the same point. So the first one is this. We have to, if you've never, you have to realize how you get new life, how you get freedom. For those of us that have experienced it before, we have to remember how you got new life, how you got freedom. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, Paul says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. There's a point in your life where Christ comes at just the right time. And it's that moment that the grace of God intersects some place in your heart to the point that it forces you to a place of decision. Verse 7, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We have to remember, we have to realize how we get or how we got this new life, this freedom. It was because Jesus gave Himself for you and for me. And guess what? It was at just the right time time there's no reason for me to even expound any further let the scripture speak for itself here's the second thing on how we give ourselves completely to God is it's this word called commitment commitment Paul says to give yourselves completely completely is a word that should be attached to the word commitment because commitment has this, this idea of going all in. I'm sorry to say this, 
But as a believer, you don't have a choice to keep one leg on one side of the fence and another leg on the other side. We don't get that opportunity. We don't get that choice. I'm so thankful Jesus didn't get on the cross and say, Oh, I'm sorry. Don't feel like it anymore. Jumps off and says, It's been fun, y'all, but no more. I'm so glad he didn't get the choice. Because if he didn't get the choice, then we don't get to sit here today. We don't get to have an experience, an encounter with the presence of God like we did in our worship today. And then Paul says this in Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, think about this. He's getting towards the end of his book here. We've read a couple of highlights from chapter 6 and chapter 5. And trust me, there's plenty of more between uh, chapters 1 and 11. But when he gets to 12, it's kind of like all coming to a head. And he says... And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. That He died at just the right time. That He rose out of the grave at just the right time to give you access to freedom, to give you access to life. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind that he will find acceptable. That this is truly the way to worship him. I'm going to totally steal something from the guy who gave the session on Tuesday at the minister's meeting. Because when he laid out this example, it just totally blew me away. Because how many of us, we've heard Romans 12, 1 through 2 before. How many? Come on. Interactive right here. Okay, Um, if I can be completely honest with you, there's been some times where I've asked myself, God, what exactly does it mean for us to be a living and holy sacrifice? Because we don't live in a day of time of sacrifices. It's not like we're going to the temple and sacrificing goats and sacrificing sheep. We We don't get to do that, and thank God we don't. But see... When Paul was writing, this was still very much the way that people lived their lives, under a sacrificial system. And so we don't really get the understanding of what it means to be a holy and living sacrifice. So let me share a passage of Scripture for you found in Genesis. And it's where Abraham, okay, Abraham, the father of faith, if you will, he was the one who God chose to, 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 to birth many nations through, Israel being one of them. And Abraham, he's like almost, he, he's an old guy. An old guy. And he doesn't have any kids. Now, now how, like, you got to have a kid to pass things down to he didn't have any kids. I mean, like, the dude is 100. Like, that's old. That's old. He's hitting triple digits. And he finally gets this son, the promised son, Isaac. Now, he was called at the age of 75. 
So we're going on three decades of him desiring to have a son. Come on. Some of y'all have been in this place where you've wanted a child so bad, and it seems like, man, it's taken forever for that to happen, and it's happened, but this dude waited 30 years, like, like, like three decades. Isaac finally comes out, okay? Awesome, right? Well, then, a little further into Isaac's life. Now, if you read commentaries, there's people that will tell you that Isaac was anywhere from the age of like 15 to 30. Let's just take 15. We'll take the low end of the, of the deal. He's 15 years old. How many of you know a 15-year-old? Some of y'all are like, oh, dear Jesus. So... There comes this day where Abraham hears from God and says it's time to go make a sacrifice. And we know that God spoke to Abraham that that sacrifice was to be Isaac. And so the account goes that Abraham loaded it up, all that he needed, all the tools, all the supplies that he needed to do this sacrifice. He's got himself and Isaac, and he's got his other servants with him. And then they get to this certain spot, and he tells the servants, me and the boy are going to, 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 to do the sacrifice. Y'all stay here. They go starting to climb up the mountain to the place that they're going to do the sacrifice. And then Isaac says, well, I see the fire, and I see the wood, but I don't see the sacrifice. And Abraham, I can only imagine this gut-wrenching conversation that he's got to have with Isaac to say, well, son, that sacrifice is you. Now, what's interesting to me is, is that a lot of times we read this story and we read the account, and if you see the end of it, you know, he ends up not sacrificing Isaac. He gets the knife in the hand, right? And then God stops him, and then there's a ram caught in the thicket. But there's a particular verse it's verse 9. It's not going to be on the screen, but just hear it. It says, When they arrived at the place where God had told Abraham to go, he built an altar and placed the wood on it. And then he tied Isaac up and laid him on the altar over the wood. He tied him up and he laid him on the altar. Now, the only... Uh, thing I have to picture is Gavin at seven years old. I'm going to tell you, there is no chance that he's just going to let me tie him up. Like he's going to kick, he's going to move, it's going to be, it's not going to be an easy task. And then even if I could get him tied up, and then I place him on the place where the sacrifice is going to take. I'm going to tell you the guy's going to squirm so much that he's going to roll right off the table. We talk a lot about Abraham's faith. Check, check. 
take the reverb out. There we go. So, so, so what we have here is we talk a lot about Abraham's faith, but let's talk about Isaac's faith for a minute. Because I think that if Isaac did put up a fight, if he did roll over, we would know about it. It's not just like a part of the story that you would forget to write down. Right? So the thing about it is, is that Abraham was committed to God and committed to the process and committed to living a life of faith and one of which that he was going to be obedient to even the point of sacrificing the thing that was the most precious to him outside of his relationship with God, and that was his son Isaac. I believe that Isaac very much said, Dad, here I am. Here I am. He said, do what you got to do. Because your God is my God. And I'm committed to this process as well. And I'm committed to him. And then Abraham just lays him on the altar. I don't know what Isaac did at this point. I don't know if he kept his eyes open. He kept his eyes closed. I don't know. All I know is, is that he just prayed. He was willing to be the sacrifice. To me, that's the true picture of what it means to be a living and holy sacrifice. It's placing yourself on the altar of God and being fully committed to him. And staying in a constant state of his presence. Because his presence is at the altar. The altar, yes, might be labeled this. But more than that, there's an altar upon our hearts and our spirits. And we must stay on there in a place of commitment so that we can be who God has called us to be. And to be the believer that he's called us to be. And when it... And, 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 Here's the funny thing about it. He was tied up and he was laid on the altar, but he was in the most freed spot that he had ever been in in his life. Now, remember when I said, if we're honest with ourselves, the idea of freedom is attached to one of significance. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 4. And I'm closing with this, so Christina, you can come back. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, which has the same connotation as to bring freedom to those under the law that we might, what, receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, 
God has also made you an heir. Here's the thing, and this is where I believe a lot of believers find themselves. They find themselves still acting like a slave. Still believing that they're a slave. When in all actuality, what Jesus has done for us has provided the way for us to step over the threshold of being a slave into being a son, from being a slave to being a daughter. Can I just say this, that the church is not going to go anywhere until we break that mentality that is on the inside of our heads, that we are no longer slaves, but now we are sons and daughters of the true one living king his name is jesus and i'm here to tell you today that it's time that we access the freedom to step into being that son and daughter of the king can we stand all over this place today